Our speaker today is Mr. Lee, uh, Minister Lee Jeter. Uh, as Amanda mentioned, he uh, runs the Fuller Center here in town. Uh, one of my work for United Way, I had uh, the pleasure of doing some work with, uh, with Minister Jeter. Uh, incredibly dedicated man. I'm looking forward greatly to hearing what he has to speak about. Uh, he's also formerly of the Marine Corps, uh, something I'm familiar with uh, since my father. But uh, please welcome Minister Jeter. Good morning. I'm blessed and honored to be in your presence on this morning. And I would like to thank Reverend Barbara in her absence for the invitation to share with you in your morning worship service. I also want to acknowledge my brother and service, John, for his assistance and his communication to help prepare me for this particular day. As John has informed you, I am the director of the Fuller Center for Housing. And the Fuller Center for Housing is a faith-based organization whose mission is to build homes for individuals that are living at or below the poverty level, working families and individuals that in our society and time today, because of their economic status, may never be able to afford a traditional home. That may be, never be able to have the joy of a mortgage like we have. That may not have a decent place to live. And so in, in that context, I wanted to share with you a message that I've, I've preached before under different circumstances, and that's a message that comes out of the book of Exodus, out of that 15th chapter, and it deals with the, the children of Israel as they had left out of Egypt, and they were on their way to the promised land, but they were stuck in this wilderness, this land between between where they left in Egypt and, and between the promised land which they were on their journey to. It's a story that took place uh, some 1,400 years B.C. as authored by Moses and directed by God. But this land in between, this, this land that the children of Israel was wandering around in for some 40 years, it was an opportunity for them to find God in the midst of all of the things that they were going through. It was an opportunity for them to get some biblical insight and some very, very unpleasant and undesirable transitions in their lives. And, and sometimes we, as a people, sometimes we have those transitions in our lives. And they come in the form of foreclosures, unemployment, parents that are suffering and declining health, failure of business, and just certain uncertainties of life. And, and then because we believe in a higher power, we, we look to that higher power for hope and for guidance and for encouragement when we're in that period of transition. 
But there are some people that get caught in this land between that can't find God, that can't find hope. We know that when the children of Israel left Egypt and been led by Moses and after they crossed the Red Sea, we know that they were guided. They had Moses physically that they could see that was leading them, but they also had a pillar of fire and a pillar of clouds so that they could be guided by day and by night. Well, this, this land between that applies to us today and, and the time that we live now is a land between what we have, those that are prosperous and, and those that are not. When, when we look at the poverty rate around our city and, and across our nation, and we see there are so many that are suffering in poverty. But we see that gap, that economic gap between those that are affluent and those that have and, and those that have not. We see that economic gap widen and widen and widen. And, and somehow as a people, as a nation, we must begin to close that gap. Because our futures are tied together. Whether we live in Southern Trace, whether we live in Ellaby Road, whether we live off North Ferris Road, or whether we live in Allendale, or Cedar Grove, or Barksdale Annex, or Stoner Hill, or Moortown, all of our faiths are tied together. But how do we bridge that gap? How do we create opportunities for those that that are in that valley, those that are in that land between that tradition that have not received and have not garnered the wealth or the prosperity that many of us seek after? How do we bridge that gap? How do we get those individuals from the wilderness? How do we help them get to the promised land? And it's a question that, that we have to ask ourselves. And, and, and we, you know, we try to do that at the Philistine. We are unashamedly a faith-based organization that refuses to accept government funds in, in the ministry of what we do, and that is to build housing. But if we just take an individual that's in poverty or take an individual that's poor, and we just build them a home, and, and we do not found, build a foundation that is needed for them to be successful, to maintain that home, to lift themselves up out of poverty, then we've done nothing. If we don't hold them accountable for, for the home that they own, then we've done nothing. So we don't give homes away. We solicit donations from faith-based organizations, individuals, and foundation grants that allow us to build a home, and, and, and we allow the homeowners that are selected to pay it forward to help us continue the ministry to build other homes to address other needs in the community. But, but when this ministry started, and it's amazing, sometimes, you know, God will tell you to go and do something, and, and you don't listen. Like I didn't listen the first time that I was told about the vacancy at the Fuller Center and when I was offered the job the first time. 
or the second time when I said, that is not the job for me. But the third time it became available, then I listened. And, I, I, and, and so I had to go where the Lord says, this is where I want you to be at. And, and by accepting and listening to the word of God, then my life has been transformed because the transformation has taken place in seeing the service that we provide to help others. You know, for about 13 years, I, I ran a youth program at Shreveport Green called AmeriCorps. It was called a Shreveport program, and it had dealt with working with young adults between the ages of 17 and, and 24 from all walks of life. And what I begin to see is that some individuals, especially our youth, especially our young, they needed an opportunity. They needed to see things different from the community that they lived, and they needed to develop an ethic of service. They needed to be able to give something back, and they needed to have someone that believed in them, and not only believed in them, but willing to help them lift up themselves and change their lives around. And on the way over here, I was thinking about the, the young man, the first young man that, we, that I recruited into the program that was living in a shotgun house on Lawrence Street in, in the Allendale area Streetport. And, and this young man was attending Booker T. Washington High School. But when you went to his house, there was not curtains at the window, but there were sheets at the window that would block the light from coming in. And when you stepped on the porch of this shotgun house, the boards, you had to kind of be very, very careful where you stepped or you might step through a board in the floor. But he was being raised by his grandmother. And when you talked to Nigel and you looked at Nigel in the eye, Nigel would speak to you like this. He would speak to you with his head down. And like he was afraid to look up to you. He was afraid to acknowledge your presence. Like he was not good enough to be in your presence. Nigel ended up graduating from our program and ended up going to college at Tuskegee University. And with an with a open eye and a desire and being able to look a man face to face in the eye and being able to transform his life. Other young man that I sent into the Marine Corps that had worked for us, that came from a family whose dad was a minister but had a severe gambling problem and it seemed like that everyone in the family had a, a gambling problem. And so he didn't have anyone to turn to. He had a biological father, but he didn't have a father figure. He didn't have anyone to guide him. And so... Even though he had worked for me two years and he was struggling as he graduated from Bird High School and wanted to go to Louisiana Tech, at one summer as we were doing projects around the city, we found out that this young man was sleeping and living in his car. And there was a transition that we had observed when he would come to work because he didn't have that energy. He didn't have that enthusiasm. He didn't have that motivation anymore. And you could tell that something was going on in his life because he was going down. But he had been sleeping in his car in various parks across the city. So we tucked him in and 
We put him up in a hotel for a week, and then one of my co-workers took him into her home while we figured out how to get this young man out of this environment. And we were able to get him to talk to a recruiter, and he ended up signing a contract and getting a bonus and going into the Marine Corps and coming back home and going back to Louisiana Tech, and now he's on the Shreveport Fire Department. But I understand that this was a process that God was taking me through and that he was preparing me for greater things. And then so I took the job at the Fuller Center. And then I went to the Allendale community that to me used to be a community that was off limits. A community that I didn't go into, a community that we didn't encourage other individuals to go into, that at one time you didn't go into the Allendale community unless you was looking for some kind of illegal and moral sex or you was looking for some kind of drug to hide the realities of life. It was a community that had high crime, high poverty rate, high dropout rate, high employment rate, but it was a community with low hope. So how do you build these communities? How do you take the individuals in these communities and, and, and re-motivate them and, and energize them so that we all are bridging this gap together because we're all united together? And that is the challenge that's before us in our society. How do we bridge that land between where I live in a nice, beautiful community in Bossier to those that are living in Cedar Grove, Moortown? How do we deal with the triple homicide and, and the shooting that happened last week to four individuals that was killed in Moortown? How do we change those communities? As we was in church service this morning at my church earlier this morning, our service began at 9 o'clock. We were informed that one of our church members' son was shot last night and was at LSU at this very hour that we were having ser service getting ready to go through surgery. So when I lit a candle, I was praying for that family, that he would make it, that they would be strengthened. But there's so many that we're losing as a nation. We're losing our communities. We're losing our people. And, and for some, it does not seem to be a concern, but it should be a concern of all. When I look at the statistics and I see that, that Louisiana as, as a state has the highest incarceration rate in the nation, in the world, that we incarcerate more individuals in this state of Louisiana than anywhere in the world, more than Iran, any country right here in this state. We incarcerate them and we incarcerate them and we incarcerate them and we have an over $128 million prison industry. $182 million present industry at the cost of about $25 a day to incarcerate someone. Wouldn't our resources and our money be better used if we could find a way to take that $25 a day per inmate and somehow engage it in our education system, our job opportunities, and create other opportunities to lift individuals up in our community? We've created a system where we're no longer forgiven. We, we pray and we ask for mercy and grace and, and ask God to forgive us, but we're no longer a forgiven society. And that our penal institution reflects that because there are no second chances. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned and we've all fell short. 
but we have been given an opportunity. But for those that make mistakes in our society, we do not want to offer them that same opportunity. So I'm 10 years older than my wife, roughly. Okay, nine. She's nine. Okay. But if we have a young man that may be 19 and engage into a relationship with a young lady that may be 16, that's a consensual relationship, and he's arrested for that consensual relationship, or she's 19 and he's 16, and she's arrested for that consensual relationship, and then they're convicted and they're sex offenders, so we give them an ID card, and we write across their ID card, sex offender. And so everywhere they go to apply for a job or any kind of interview, and their ID, automatically all they see is sex offender. They have no idea what to charge them. So we've taken all these people, some that may be innocent, and we've lumped them all together in one category. And we've created a barrier. So now they can't get a job. They can't find an employment. And they're victimized and stigmatized for the rest of their lives when he was 19 and she was 16, and they engage in a consensual relationship. And now that's a crime, and that individual is scarred for the rest of their lives. And so now we, we take individuals that we've got in our penal system that's incarcerated, and maybe they've got some children out of wedlock, and, and maybe the family is struggling. And because the family is struggling, they apply for aid for dependent children or some type of government assistance, and, and they're required or they're informed or coerced that in order for you to get this assistance, you need to put this individual that's the father of this child on child support. And maybe this individual is incarcerated. And so the individual's released from incarceration but hadn't paid child support in five, six years, whatever the sentence is. And so now, because he's behind in child support, we suspend their driver's license. So their driver's license is suspended. They can't go out and solicit a job or find a job because they don't have any visible means of transportation or any ID. And this is a system that we've created for our people. And, and somehow, as a people, we've got to begin to bridge that gap between those that have and those that have not. And we've got to begin to systematically look at the laws and, and see what it is that we can change because of our faith. You know, every great empire, from the Ottoman Empire to the Roman Empire, has failed. It's not a matter if, it's a matter when. When is our nation going to be like those other nations? Or can we change it? Do we have the power as a people? Do we have the desire as a people? Do we have the will to change the injustices that are taking place within our community? Can we bridge that gap between those that have and those that have not? The land between separates us today. The land between the haves and the have-not, the land between the rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated, those that have health care and those that do not, those that are in prison or have been to prison and those have not. And this land in between that separates us, that divides us as a people, will ultimately be 
the land that will destroy us as a nation unless we do something to change it. You know, in the book of Matthew, Jesus had a conversation with his disciples. And in that conversation with his disciples, starting with that 30th verse of Matthews, he said that, and before him should be gathered all nations, and he should separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goat. And he should keep the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he said, For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then should a righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and fed thee a thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in? Are naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, As much as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And then in Romans 15 and 1, Paul says, as Paul is teaching us, the Apostle Paul, he said, We that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to please ourselves, not to please ourselves, but to help others. Last year, 20, yes, 2012, on the 3rd of July, when our office was still in the Allendale community, we had a young lady that was married to a man that had, and they had three children. And they were homeless. On July 3rd, the day before Independence Day of our great nation, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, they came and knocked on the Fuller Center door. They sat, we had a conversation, and the husband said, I have a degenerative eye disease, I'm I'm going blind. I can't work anymore. I used to work as a painter. My wife works part-time at Walmart, about 30 hours a week. We couldn't make it. We had a place to live, and we couldn't afford to make the payments. We got three kids. We couldn't take care of them and, and pay a rent payment, so we were evicted, and, and we've been sleeping in our car, and we have no place to go. And somebody told us to come here and to see you. And so I informed him and I said, at the Fuller Center, we don't have vacant houses or vacant apartments. We build homes for individuals that's 
at or below the poverty level, but that's a process. You could be on a waiting list anywhere from 6 to 18 months for one of our homes because it's a process. You've got to go through credit counseling, budget counseling, criminal background check. We've got to raise the money to build your house. I don't have a place that I can put you right now. And then I stopped and I thought and I listened to the voice that was whispering in my ear. And it was that voice that said, but you do have a place. Because, see, we have a volunteer center at Our Lady Blessed Strachman Church, one of our church partners in the Allendale community. And at that volunteer center, we host all of our out-of-town volunteers that come in to help us build homes. We have 20 bunk beds over there, two refrigerators, a microwave, three bathrooms, dishwasher, a washer and dryer. So it said, did you do have a place? And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, yeah, my board's really going to like that. <laughs> but I made the decision, and I thought it was the right decision, the decision that the Lord would have us to make. And I said, this is what we can do. We do have a volunteer center. Let me call Father McBride, and, and let me, Father McBride, Father Andre, and let me call Father Andre and talk with Father Andre McGrath and, and let the Father know that we're going to put you up temporarily at our volunteer center. That temporary stay to get them through the holidays ended up being over 90 days. But the Lord wasn't stewed. He, he was still working miracles. We were in that house that had been built for a family that decided that they didn't want a partner, that they didn't want to meet all of the requirements to own a home. They didn't want to do their sweat equity. So we'd been using that house that was built for a family as an office. But yet and still we had a grant and we had been looking for a building to house our office. Couldn't find one to meet our criteria, fits our need that was within our price range. So lo and behold, out of the blue, the Red Cross building on Linwood becomes available. It's underpriced. It's a blessing to us. And God opened that door. And we were able to close on a building, the Red Cross building on Linwood, which we're located at now. And we were able to move into that building in September of that year. And then by moving into that building, we were able to take that family that was living in the volunteer center and move them into the house that we used to occupy on Clay Street in Allendale. So it was a blessing for us and it was a blessing for them. But the Lord wasn't through with us yet. Because he still can't get disability. He's going through that process of the system of trying to prove that he's got this debilitating eye disease and that he can't work. And by the way, the the, the wife got laid off at Walmart because she missed too many days having to take her husband to medical apartments because he couldn't drive and to pick their kids up from school and to make sure they were taken care of. So down there living in a, a home and, and well, Lee, uh, how are they going to pay for mortgage? You know, we're, we can't give them a house and how are they going to be able to get on their feet? Are we handicapping them by allowing them to stay there? So on last week, whatever little money that they got coming in, they paid what they could. But finally, on last week, on two weeks ago, his disability finally came in. 
So when his disability came in, he got the back pay from all the previous months that he had applied for. So him and his wife and the three kids walked in my office and said, we're ready to catch up on our payments that we owe to Fuller Center. And they walked in there with cash to catch up and caught up their payments all up to date. And now they have an income that's coming in every month where they'll be able to continue to pay the mortgage that's only $350 a month. No interest, no taxes, because we don't charge interest to the poor. But now we have a family that has some stability. And now she's going to be able to go back to work at Walmart. And he's going to be able to sit at home and manage the kids. But they're no longer destitute. They're no longer homeless. But there's so many other people out there that we hear about every day, day after the day that comes into this situation. And we have an obligation to help them. Because Jesus has commanded that we help them. And I often close my remarks when I'm talking with the story of the Good Samaritan. As Dr. Luke tells us, that there was a certain man that went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed him, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise did a Levite, when he arrived at the place and came and looked at the man, he too passed him by. But a certain Samaritan journeyed and came where he was, and he sought him, and he had compassion. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine and he set him on his own animal and he brought him to the inn and he took care of him. And Jesus said, and he who showed mercy on him, who was the good neighbor? Who was the good neighbor? And it was him that had shown mercy on him. Then he said to that man, go and do likewise. So we have an obligation to do likewise, to, to assist those that are in need, to help build this gap between the land, between those that have and have not, because our futures are tied together. We need each other. And if we don't, then like those other empires, those other great empires that perish, so shall we. So I would ask you to consider when you drive down, drive through Cedar Grove, drive through Allendale, drive through Moortown, drive through the communities that you don't normally drive through and see the disparity that exists and then ask yourself this question. Because of my faith, what can I do to help transform my community? And by transforming my community, what can I do to transform my state? And, and after transferring my state, what can we do that will have an impact on this nation that will allow us to be, continue to be great and will allow us to not have this great disparity between those that have and those that have not? I thank you for your time and I thank you for an opportunity to share with you. And I hope God continue to bless each and every one of you, individually and collectively. Thank you.